the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, questions about church. Maybe you heard something yesterday that didn't sit well with you or that you didn't understand. All you need to do is call us. 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. And we just got a bunch of them, so uh, we're ready for that. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel San Antonio mobile app. And always remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, I want to thank all of you for your prayers. I know many were praying. We got that communicated to us uh, for our women's retreat. Paula said uh, it went wonderful yesterday here at church. We had the one of the several worship teams uh, at the ladies' retreat do all the worship here in church. And, oh, the ladies just were having a wonderful time. And they were just so blessed. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your prayers. Jesus, of course, always meets us. And that was the case for sure. And uh Further, we tonight, you know, with our normal uh, Monday night men's and women's and youth Bible studies, the ladies for the next two Mondays, tonight and next Monday, are going to be going, uh, doing a, a retreat reflection. So maybe you couldn't go to the retreat. Um, um, ladies, you can watch it at calvarysa.com if you can't get here tonight. Uh, but you can kind of see what the Lord was doing. Uh, we had a huge crowd of ladies and uh, almost too big for the facility to handle. But uh, tonight and next week, you'll you'll get an idea of what um, the Lord was doing in the hearts of the ladies. And this is always a really, really edifying time. Uh, gives some of the women who didn't get to go a chance to sort of live vicariously through their experiences. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. And, of course, we have child care for that. Um, Pastor or Dr. Pastor Peter Bailey. Uh, he's going to be teaching the men. Pastor Ken is out of town on vacation with his family, and uh, um, Dr. Peter will be teaching. And then, of course, we've got uh, junior high and high school classes going on as well. Well, the cold weather is back. I don't know for how long. I hope not long. Let's get right to some questions while you guys... Get your questions ready. We wait for calls. We'll go to these. This first one is from Janie. Um, She's got several here. She said, um, since it is said that Satan is powerful, why do we blame, blame God when something bad happens? Why don't we blame Satan since he is the one that creates chaos and causes pain and suffering? You know, uh, Jeannie, this is a question that always frustrates me 
Because when something doesn't happen the way we want it, when something bad happens in our life, uh, when something big goes on in the world, uh, even Christians, I understand the unbelieving world doing this, but even Christians will say, why did God let this happen? I can't believe that God didn't do this or God didn't stop this from happening. That's not his job. His job is to save us. He's done that. His job is to sanctify us as we walk by the Spirit. But when we walk out from under uh, His protection, then we are on our own. So the reason we blame God when something bad happens is that we don't really know Him. And even believers don't really know Him. They're saved, but they don't really dig into their Bibles and they don't really get to know Him. So you're right. Satan is the one that creates chaos and causes pain and suffering. I was just listening to a a, a video, um, a black pastor, and there was no name given, so I can't tell you it was, but but he was talking about all the things that that are going on in the world, and he was saying Satan has released a spirit of deception. Of course he has. We think men can become women and women can become men. That's that's a spirit of deception. It's just these kinds of things. Satan is the little G God of this world. And all he does is lie. And too often, Janie, we Christians, we sort of dig in and agree. And and I just don't know why at all. Here's her next question. She said, uh, why did God create the earth and humans just to destroy it and them? Um, Janie, he didn't create the earth and humans to destroy it. When God made the earth and humans, Adam and Eve, the only two that God made, uh, he made all of it to last forever. He made it perfect. He made it beautiful. So to, to, to imagine that God created earth and humans to destroy them is to miss the whole point. God created humans were the best thing he ever created. The earth, it, it's the heavens declared the glory of God. Uh, So God didn't create anything to destroy it. Sin is the destroyer. Um, The whole creation groans, Paul says to the church at Romans chapter 1. It's just that's, that's the end of sin. But that's not the way God made it. Um... The other thing that always gets me about questions like this one, Janie, are that we have people who think it's God's job to make sure nothing bad happens to them. Well, God is a God of love, and why would God send anybody else? He doesn't. He did everything possible short of forcing us to make it possible that we don't have to go to hell. So we humans were born eternal. We're going to live somewhere forever. The choice we make in this world is where we're going to live. We're going to live with God. We call that heaven. Or we're going to live separated from God. We call that hell. And we make the choice. God doesn't. It's God's made a choice for all of us. We just rebel. His choice is that we all would live for him and with him forever and ever. Uh, and then she says, and if we came from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, Janie, there are still monkeys, but of course, uh, you asked that question in jest. There's certainly no um, monkeys, no humans that evolved from monkeys. We know that to be true. Thank you for the question, Janie. Let's go to San Marcos and talk with Horacio on line one. Horacio, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Professor Ron, can you elaborate on uh, yes. 38, how it affects uh, Ukraine situation? I know how you got Well, yeah. Okay, thank you, Horacio. I can do that. Uh, yeah, I, I can elaborate on it. It's not Ezekiel 38 and 39, um, but I think that it is setting the stage for Ezekiel 38 and 39. Um, Horatio, I believe very strongly that, that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is going to come after the Great Tribulation begins, when church, when the Christians are raptured out and, uh, and, and then the, the, the war Magog, Gog and Magog, uh, that's going to be the war that Ezekiel demonstrates. Uh, there is a lot of sensationalism now going around on YouTube and, and, and blogs, uh, people taking advantage of all of this and suggesting that this is the war in Ezekiel 38, 39. And, and I think that's a shame. I, I really think that is irresponsible. Um, you know, prophetic ministries in particular, they've got to do something to keep their readers excited. And that's exactly what they're doing. It is not 
Ezekiel 38 and 39. But I do want to say again, I want to repeat this because this is important. I think this is simply setting the stage. I don't think we're done uh, at all seeing Russia's aggression. Uh, Additionally, I don't think that we, uh, I think that we are opening the door or Russia is opening the door for China to um, aggressively expand as well. I think we're going to see China go into uh, Taiwan. Um, I had somebody say, well, Hong Kong is already part of China. Well, I understand that, but but I think you're going to see a Chinese takeover in Hong Kong to an extent that we haven't seen yet. And what we're seeing, what we're seeing, Horatio, and this is really a tragedy, what we're seeing is that the shift of power is going from the West to the East, and that's exactly the stage that needs to be set for Ezekiel 38 and 39. But again, I believe that that's going to take place after Christians are raptured. Uh, I believe that these are steps leading to it. Um, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, Jesus said, these are the beginning of birth pains. So uh, I think what we are seeing, Horatio, is the beginning of these birth pains. And I think we're going to see a very unsettled global condition uh, until Jesus comes for his church. Uh, there's, There's simply... No practical reason for Putin to be destroying really brothers and sisters. I mean, they're Russians. That's their heritage. Uh, And yet he's doing it. And the world is just standing by and watching it happen. And the United States wants strong enough to ensure that something like this doesn't happen. Um, We are no longer. We no longer have the courage to fight, to stand for something that's important. One final thing. If you study the history of Germany's uh, takeover in Europe, 1939 and forward, um, this is what Russia is doing right now. And we're right at the beginning. So, Horacio, thank you for asking the question. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585, Three four zero ninety five eighty five. here is a question from Dewey. Uh, Pastor Ron, I'm in the book of Joshua and reading about the land grants and allotment of lands that was given to the tribes of Israel. My question is why God did not give an allotment of land to the tribe of Levi, and what did God mean uh, that he would be their allotment or deed of trust? I'm a bit puzzled on this scripture. You know, uh, Joshua, this is the, Levi was the richest or or should have been the richest tribe of all. They got the best inheritance. And here's what God said: I'm going to give everybody else a tribe, a, 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 a plot of ground. That's where they're going to settle. That's where they're going to raise their children. That's where they're going to make their living. That's where they're going to worship me. And uh, he said, but the Levites, basically, he said they're my personal representatives. So we're going to have Levites in all of the 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 the, the other tribes in their their areas. Uh, of of, uh, geographical areas, Uh, but I'm their portion. That's what he's saying. So while all the other tribes get land, the Levites get God. And from heaven's perspective, that's the best allotment of all. So they didn't get land, but they had places that they could live in all of the other tribes. And certainly their worship uh, and service was to the Lord and for the Lord. So that's all it's talking about. And the Levites are a good picture, uh, Dewey, uh, for, for all of us. Um, you know, we are a chosen generation. Uh, Paul says that we're to, uh, in view of everything God has done for us, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. In other words, we're to give everything. We're not told anything back. So we're, we're like the modern-day Levites if, in fact, we will surrender our hearts and understand that, that Jesus is our portion, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So um, the, the Levites, God was simply giving a picture. This is what it's going to be like when I come and live in my people. So we're living in a wonderful, wonderful time of history um, for 2,000 years, uh, do we? Uh, 
our portion is Jesus. And I don't think you'll find a Christian who's really serving the Lord who feels like he's being cheated. Now, in it is true in Israel, there were Levites who would own stuff that they weren't supposed to own. But, but those are compromised Levites. And God loved them. He gave them the very best portion. And it was the Levites, of course, who stood uh, against those who were false teachers. And it, it's, it's, it's really the best allotment of all doing. So I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Dewey. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inbox. This is from Michael. Hi, Pastor Ron. Can a person receive Christ if they are demon-possessed? Haven't read any instance of that in the Bible. A family member of mine is looking to Catholic priests to help in his daughter's deliverance because he can't find any in the Christian community. Why are Catholics considered the authority on deliverance? It seems to be this way. You know, Michael, um, I think too many Catholics have, have watched the, the movie The Exorcist. And, you know, they're feeling that is the purview of Catholic priests. And, of course, just the opposite is true. Unless one is born again. It wasn't this Sunday, yesterday, but a week ago, I did a Bible study on uh, the man that we call Legion. That wasn't his name, but that was the, the, the name of the demons or how the demons identified themselves. And one of the things I said is that that um, um, to encounter demons is a frightening thing. I have encountered demon-possessed people, and it is frightening. It is the most unpleasant thing in the world. Now, we don't have to be afraid. It's just a horrible thing. And um, the, the man or the woman who is doing that needs to be a born-again believer, not just a born-again believer, but one walking in the power of God's Spirit. So, um, you know, we get this from tradition. Um, Catholics have been exercising demons unsuccessfully forever. Um, Hollywood has sort of exacerbated that view, um, but it's simply not true. So if you've got a family member, um, the only way that a demon is going to come out of, uh, of his daughter, in this case, uh, the only way is, is for her to get born again. Jesus is the one who casts out the demon. Not a priest, not a pastor. Jesus is the one that casts out a demon. It's his power. They submit to his authority. And what we really need to do is is stop listening to these old stories and traditions. Uh, and we need to do this. Now, as to your first question, can a person receive Christ if they are demon-possessed? They need to, or the demons need to stay, because Jesus himself said that if a demon is cast out... Uh, then he goes and gets seven demons stronger than himself. Remember Mary Magdalene as an example. She was inhabited by seven demons, seven demons stronger than him. And then they come back, and if they find the house empty, in other words, if they find the person um, empty, but by that I mean the Spirit of God, they don't become believers, um, then those more demons come in, and the last situation is worse than the first. So uh, one of the things that I said in that study uh, a week ago was that that uh, um, in those occasions when I've encountered demons, um, the Lord has always graciously provided an opportunity to talk to the person. Usually, when you're talking to a demon-possessed person, you're talking to the demons. They control the host. But, but uh, again, if you're walking with the Lord, if you're born again, um, the Lord will provide the opportunity for you to speak to the person. And I've asked those people on those occasions, are you ready to receive Jesus Christ? He wants to deliver you from this, but you have to turn your heart to Jesus. And if they're not ready, if they won't do it, then honestly, I just, I, I don't cast the demon out. And again, this isn't something I do often. It's certainly not anything we should look forward to, uh, but it's just something that we need to do. So um, tradition, Hollywood, that's the reason. Uh, Catholics are considered the authority on deliverance, uh, but it's simply not true. Good question. Let's go to Ruben from Seguin on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. Uh, how are you doing today? Ruben, I'm doing well. Thank you. I was I was gone all weekend at a pastor's conference, and so I'm a little bit more tired than usual, but other than that, I'm doing really good. Oh, that's good. I, I bet it was a great time. I, I bet it was a great time. That's good. Yeah, it was. Um, Pastor, it was. 
Pastor, um, I have one question, and then I have an observation to make. Uh, over the weekend, I was invited to go uh, minister through music at this uh, anniversary church. They were having their church's anniversary. And this pastor, I've known him for, oh, good, about 20, 30 years. I've never known him to be anything but solid. You, you know what I mean? Doctrinal, doctrinally, and mm-hmm. I never, 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 ever had him, never doubted him in any way, shape, or form. But he had these two, and I'm going to use this word lightly, so-called prophets come from Puerto Rico. <clears throat> the first thing I noticed, and I'm just going to be honest, they were extremely, extremely feminine. I mean, extremely feminine. Mm. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to cast aspersions or anything, but... Uh, okay. Then, then they uh, they started praying, and they mean like when they got, when when they preached, it was like a tag team preach. Well, they called it tag team preaching. Um, uh, when they got done with it, they asked people to come. They come up, asked people to come up, and they started praying for them. And uh, I didn't personally see it, but they said that they started manifesting gold in people's teeth, and. Oh. I was like, wait a minute, come on. I was like, hold on, hold on. And then they started saying that there's gold, you know, falling, falling down. Personally, I didn't see it. I mean, it did. It <laughs> t- my spirit was really, like, down. Like, I couldn't even play properly. I was like, because I, I was uh, so uncomfortable in this setting and then he brought a teaching towards Genesis in Genesis, uh, talking about uh, Eve's real name was Lilith. Now, I want to know where in the world did they get that from? Because I have never heard that. And then, what is your thought on the feminism and the gold teeth and all of that? Yeah. Oh, Ruben, my heart hurts. This this kind of stuff hurts my heart so deeply, so deeply. First of all, uh, Lilith is, is Catholic tradition, um, has, has no bearing on reality whatsoever, uh, and it's just, um, um, remember I said earlier at the beginning of the program that, that uh, we're, we're, we're living in a time where there's a spirit of deception, anything goes. Uh, Lilith has been one of those persisting um, legends, that, that there's just absolutely no basis or foundation in truth whatsoever. So uh, Eve uh, was named Eve, the mother of the living from the very beginning by God, and, and she was the first woman. So, uh, no, her real name was not Lilith. Um, when you combine both of these issues, um, you were not in a solid church at all. And the pastor, you said you've always known him to be solid. Um, Reuben, as we talked about uh, last week, you've grown so much over the past years that you've been listening to the program and com- and, and, and communicating with us. Um, you're just recognizing things aren't healthy. And there's nothing healthy at all about anything that went on. And those are churches that are are are, are hurting people. Um, they're... they're um, They're just horrible, uh, dangerously so. Uh, the gold filling in teeth is nothing new. That that comes around every few years. Um, you know, uh, people say, "Well, if you just have enough faith to see it, God will will give you gold fillings in your teeth." And and you know, obviously, if God was going to do something like that, I think He would go back to original equipment. I think He'd give us enamel teeth and take care of the problems. But but my point is, is it's just not true. It's a lie. Uh, gold dust coming down, that's not new. Before it was angel feathers coming from the ceilings. Um, none of those things are true. And uh, the churches that practice those things are horrible. Relative to the, 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 the men calling themselves prophets with feminist tendencies. Let me say, first of all, there are no prophets. So the minute they were introduced as prophets, you know that's an unhealthy, out-of-balance church. 
And um, we just need to discount anything and everything that they have to say relative to them being a feminist or, or feminine rather in, in uh, mannerisms and appearance. Um, you know, nothing would surprise me anymore. Um, uh, they're apostate. They're, uh, it, it's a church that is, is causing people problems. I wouldn't want to be those church leaders uh, on the day that we stand before Jesus when we have the responsibility to um, tell people about Jesus. So, Reuben, you, you just, what you're experiencing is discernment that you didn't have before you started digging into the Bible for yourself. So I hope that answers your question. And Ruben, if you know people in the, the, that church, you need to you need to warn them to get out of there. It's a horrible, horrible mess. You know, I had the opportunity. We're inside a minute now for this half of the program. I had the opportunity to um, we we affiliated, ordained um, um, a bunch of new churches in my region here for Calvary Chapel. There were five of them, and we have the responsibility as pastors to give people the word, not to give them a show, not to give them this nonsense, not to change the fillings in their teeth, but to give them God's word. And that was so profoundly spoken in my heart again, a reminder that that's what we're responsible to Jesus for on that day we stand before him. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your live calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to line one and talk with Ron from Mason County. Ron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. I, my question is about Revelation 14, and I have one question about the 144,000. It talks about them being redeemed. Uh, I'd like to know what what that means. Were they martyred or what? And then I'd like to jump to uh, Revelation 14:14, 14, 14, where it talks about the harvest of the earth, and I'd like to know your opinion of who they're harvesting. And it and there's two events that happen there. Uh, one, I guess, is the harvest of the grain first and and the grapes second and who those people are representing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can do that. Thank you. The the um, uh, first part, what was the first question? Uh, Revelation 14, 144,000. Oh, the 144,000. 144,000, Ron, that have been redeemed. Those are Jews. We don't have to guess what, who those are. Those are Jews who are... Uh, uh, taken from the, from the earth, um, Jews who live, they've they've lived holy lives. They haven't been uh, involved with women, um, and they are um, specially designed by God. In the last days, in the great tribulation, they are going to be uh, set apart, empowered by God. They're going to be sealed by God so that they can't be hurt. And what they're going to be is evangelists. They're going to go throughout the world. Um, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I always like to imagine them, Ron, as being um, um, 144,000 Apostle Pauls, only healthy, um, invincible. They can't be killed. They can't be captured uh, because the, the, their their job is to bring in the harvest that we're going to talk about in, in Revelation 14, 14 in a moment. But their job is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to be endowed with power. Uh, I believe like the Apostle Paul and the other apostles were, there will be miracles that will occur and they will be the ones who, who, um, who, who, who bring in the final harvest for Jesus. Now there's two harvests. Those for Jesus, the 144,000 are going to bring in most of the people get saved 
during the Great Tribulation are going to die. They're going to be martyred for their faith, but there's also going to be a harvest, of course, of judgment. So uh, the 144,000, they are Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's no guessing. Uh, a lot of times the the uh, misinformation about the 144,000 comes from Jehovah's Witnesses who believed at the beginning, C.T. Russell used to believe that that um, um, only people that are going to make it to heaven are 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. There are 12,000 Jews uh, from each of the 12 tribes, so they will be turned loose on this world to bring in the harvest of righteousness. And then when that's finished, uh, then there will be a harvest of judgment. Uh, in verse 14, Revelation 14, 14, uh, where... Uh, John writes, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, sickles, because this has to do with judgment, the sickles are used um, um, to, to, to bring in the harvest. That's what they're doing in, in, in an agricultural setting. Now, the the one with the sickle in his hand in this chapter is clearly Jesus. Uh, Jesus talked in Matthew chapter 13. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. In other words, they're going to grow together until the harvest. And that end harvest, uh, Ron, is going to be a harvest of righteousness and judgment. So this is the, 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 the two harvests taking place in the end time. The harvest of righteousness led by the 144,000, where they're going to go out, they're going to declare the gospel, people are going to get saved. Uh, the greatest revival in the history of the world. But the harvest of judgment, the one with the sickle from Revelation 14, 14, that's a harvest of judgment. That's when it comes time to pay the price for sin. So um, this harvest is way overdue. Um, the Greek word here for um, ripe, uh, when he says in the next verse, verse 15, for the, the harvest of the earth is ripe, uh, it means it's way overdue. And there's a Greek word picture here that's fascinating because it shows a rotten, bloated piece of fruit so ripe that it's about to burst. And all we have to do, Ron, is look around at the world that we live in and the world looks like that bloated piece of fruit. That's what it is. So that's what the harvest is and that's the 144,000. Ron, thank you very, very much for the question. I appreciate it. Here's a question from Ronald from our mobile app. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. Is God's love conditional or unconditional for believers or unbelievers? Um, God's love is always conditional unless God makes it clear. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want to be misunderstood. God is love, so he loves everybody. So he loves you even if you don't want his love. But to benefit from God's love. Of course, there's conditions for us, for the world. It's conditional on receiving Jesus Christ and, and asking for and receiving the forgiveness of sins. You remember uh, back in uh, in Jacob's house, Esau and Jacob. Uh, uh, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God didn't really hate him, but comparatively, Jacob would be able to receive the love of God. Esau, who sold his birthright for a bowl of stew, wouldn't receive God's love. So um, God made Abraham an unconditional covenant. God made David an unconditional covenant. But all of the promises of God for us are conditional, first and foremost, upon receiving Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. So in order to benefit from that love, that love is offered to everybody. Uh, God's call is universal, but only those who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are the beneficiaries of that unconditional call. But then our relationship um, depends on um, us keeping or maintaining the conditions that God has set. So, Ronald, if you are 
serving God. Uh, he loves you. You're enjoying his love, benefiting from his love. If you're in sin uh, and you're separated from God by that sin, then uh, you you can't benefit from God's love. And his love takes a different form. He's going to convict you and try to draw you back to him. But but God's love is is the reality of our lives. God loves the world. But in order to benefit from that love, it is conditional. I've had people tell me, unbelievers, Ronald, who would say, well, well, God loves me. I know God loves everybody, so God loves me. Yeah, but, but you're separated from God. You're like so separated from him that his love has no value to you. And so to, to be loved by God and benefit from that love, it doesn't mean that God loves us when we are in sin, when we are in rebellion. He loves us. But our rebellion against him keeps us from having any benefit at all from that love. So I hope that makes sense to you, Ronald. I'm a little tired today. Maybe I didn't make sense. But, but uh, for, for unbelievers, you asked, uh, God's love is universal, but it is conditional upon coming to him and receiving that love. It would be like you giving somebody a gift. And that gift could be the best gift in the whole world. But if they never opened the gift... It would be as if they didn't receive the gift. It would be even worse than that because that gift was right there waiting for them the whole time, but they just refused to open it. Well, Jesus has given us a gift, the gift of his life, the gift of forgiveness of sins. And um, more and more, uh, many, even most, uh, don't receive that gift. So uh, I hope that makes sense to you, Ronald. If not, uh, I'll try again when I'm thinking a little bit more clearly. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and question. Here is a question that comes in from Ariana from our mobile app. Hello, Pastor On. Can a child that is not accountable be demon possessed? Kindly, Ariana. Ariana, no, I don't believe so. Um, now uh, there are some parts of the world where children are raised in homes um, um, where parents are demon possessed. Um, but 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 I think the accountability factor. Um, we we have to rest in the the character and the nature of God, and God is just, and and God protects children. Suffer not the little children come to me is a principle throughout the gospel account. So, um, no, a child cannot be demon possessed. However, children like everybody else can be oppressed by demons. Um, uh, Satan will use any person that he can to cause problem in a home. Um, but, but a child cannot be demon possessed. God is going to cover them until they're on their own and making the choices themselves. Sometimes, Ariana, um, when, when we, people live in homes where drugs are a big part of the, uh, of the, the family history, um, I mean, demons already have access so the parents would be accountable in a situation like that, but God would protect the child. So I hope that makes sense to you, Miranda. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jesse. He says, um, I know a lot of bad stuff has happened in the last two plus years. What good has come out of the pandemic and other craziness? I know God doesn't waste anything. You know, uh, Paul's promise to the church at Rome in chapter 8, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his will or, or for his purposes. Um, that's a promise that we can take to the bank. Yeah, you're right, Jesse. God doesn't waste anything. But we have to be really careful because when we say that to people, they often immediately assume that God causes those things. Uh, I'm going to go back to um, March of 2020 when I said to my church, and I've got it on recording on video. I said, and I believe this is the word God gave me as a pastor of this flock to warn them. I said, God is going to use this pandemic to shake out, not shake up but to shake out his church. And Jesse, I've seen that, that happen in the last two plus years. I've seen people who who uh, were in church for years, 
now they're out of the church. They're not coming back to church. They got lazy spiritually and they got used to just watching online. Well, why do I have to go to church? God's shaking out his church. And what we're going to get is we're going to get the people that are committed to Christ who are back doing the work of God in and through the church. And we're going to get the people who are never really seriously committed to the Lord. They're the ones who are going to be standing on the outside looking in. And um, so you ask what good has come out of the pandemic. Maybe the church is a little more serious. Those who are real Christians are a little more serious about their walk, a little more watchful. Um, But it's hard to think of good things that have come out of a pandemic that has caused so much death and so much pain. Um, But remember, we're, we're sitting ducks. If we're not hanging out with Jesus... We're sitting ducks for these terrible things that are going to happen. I want to point out one more time, Jesse, for the benefit of everybody listening, that God doesn't cause things like the pandemic. He doesn't cause the craziness. But if we're with him in the craziness, um, he'll be in it. Never leave us or forsake us through it all. All we have to do is be there for him. So um, other than maybe the church becoming a little more mission-focused, I don't know that a lot of good has come out. Um, Ten years from now, um, people who are still alive are going to be able to look back on this, and I think they're going to find a lot of things. But but I've seen the enemy use this pandemic, Jesse, to frighten Christians who shouldn't be frightened. And we've we've really, many, many Christians, professing Christians, have, have kind of walked away from their faith, walked away from the, the responsibilities of their faith. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm not the, the authority on good stuff or bad stuff that comes out of this thing, but you're right. There's a lot of crazy stuff that's happened. And I would hope, Jesse, that uh, those of us who are really followers of Jesus Christ, I would hope, against all hope, um, I would hope that they would um, be serving the Lord with a with a renewed zeal. Here's a question that was just called in to the program. It said, uh, you say Jesus is the only Son of God. If I'm born again, I'm a Son of God. Is Jesus considered exclusively the begotten Son then? Yeah, we're we're not we're we're children of God when we when we come in the family, but the difference um to this uh caller, I don't think there's a name Leon. on this one. Leon. Leon. Uh Leon, the difference is uh you're a son uh by adoption. I'm a son, Paul is a daughter by adoption. We're not in the family. We're not even the natural uh vine. We're 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 the, the, the unnatural um shoots and um uh, but but God adopted us. And and that's how we became family. So Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. The Father is his Father. Um, um, he was born without a sin nature uh, because uh, his Father had no sin nature. So, um, yeah, that's the difference. We, we, we call ourselves sons and daughters of God. We have the full rights as natural-born sons and daughters. But we are adopted sons and daughters, Leon, and uh, that is a privilege. You know, uh, and and I think we all know people that have been adopted and, you know, they struggle with, why didn't my parents want me? And and, and they, they struggle with those kind of things. But I've always looked at it differently, that God chose me. He didn't have to, but God chose me is so special. And um, And, yeah, he doesn't call me a stepson. He doesn't call me an adopted son. He just calls me son because I have the full rights and privileges of the begotten son, Jesus Christ. So good question, Leon. Thank you very, very much. Here is our next question. This one is from Leo. He says, how do we know which promises are for Israel and which are for Christians? Leo, all you have to do is read the Bible. When you see the promises, when you see God making these statements, then you can easily identify who the promise is for. Um, you know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, that's, that's not a promise for Christians. Um, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. 
uh, to give you hope in the future. That's for Israel. God was pro, uh, prophesying the, the destruction of Israel, the captivity uh, by Babylon. Um, and, and what we need to do is understand, if we're going to be good students of the word, we need to understand um, to whom those promises are made. Now, there are principles that we can take from those promises. Uh, the one I just uh, mentioned, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, that is not a promise that has anything to do with the United States of America. But in principle, Leo, it means that we who are believers, called by his name, we can humble ourselves and pray, and God who is in us will move upon us and through us and, and move for us. Um, but the promise to Israel is clear. Uh, the Ten Commandments, I get a lot of questions about this on the show. Uh, the Ten Commandments are not for you and for me. They were for Israel. To the Israelites, write these commandments. So all we have to do is study the Bible. The Old Testament is the Old Testament. The church is the church. Israel is Israel. And never the two shall meet until the mystery revealed by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, the two become one. But our promises are for New Testament Christians. Leo, I've been sort of on a kick here for about the last two or three months trying to get my church here at Calvary to understand that the promises of God for us are so rich and so infinitely greater than the promises God made to Israel. Uh, and all we have to do is believe them Walk in the Spirit and we'll reap the benefits of those promises. I've been telling our church over and over, if you just take one chapter, Romans chapter 8, and highlight the promises just in one chapter, that's enough to keep us going for forever. So, who is the promise made to? Who are the people in view? And what is the purpose of the promise? That will tell you every time who the promise is for. We've got to be better students of the word, Leo, so thank you for asking the question. Here is an anonymous question. I am a single woman who wants to be married and have a family. Why won't God bring a husband to me? Anonymous, um, you know, I believe, and this is just me, I believe that when God puts a desire in our heart, it's a desire that he wants to fulfill. We know it's not good for men to be alone. That means, by definition, it's not good for women to be alone either. Um, and so this is a desire. It's a natural, normal desire that comes from God. And God will. He wants to answer your prayers. So why won't God bring a husband to you? Are you ready for one? You know, I know women that want to be married and want to be mothers so badly that they would put so much pressure on a man that God would bring that it just couldn't possibly work. So here's the thing to understand. You need to let God prepare you for the man that he is preparing for you. And what that means, first and foremost, is that you've got to be committed to Jesus Christ. You can't follow Jesus so you get a husband or so you get a family. You need to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm yours. You know, I always think of, of uh, Hannah in First Samuel, Samuel's mother. Um, she wanted a baby. She wanted a baby so bad she made it almost impossible for her husband. And, um, and, and, and the whole time God was preparing her for a very special baby. And when Samuel was born, uh, he was a prophet. He was a judge. And, and uh, you know, Hannah would have taken any baby, but until she could get to the place where she said, uh, Lord, if you give me this child, I'll give him back to you. Well, the same thing is true. You've got to put your desires on Jesus Christ, not on being married, not on a husband. Let God do all those things for you, but you've got to be prepared for it. If your marriage is going to be a solid one, it's got to be on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, I, I just have known too many people 
that are so anxious to be with somebody that they'll take anybody. Jesus says, wait for the one that I've chosen. So um, go to your pastor and talk to him. Go to your pastor and his wife. Talk to him. You'll be blessed. Okay, I've got one more time for one more. I don't think I have time for that one. Um, or that one. <laughs> These are long questions. Uh, here's one from Roberta. When I tell people they have to believe in Jesus to get to heaven, they usually respond saying, I'm being too narrow. How can I explain why Jesus is the only way? Roberto, this is easy in the two minutes that I've got left. Um, Jesus is the only answer for sin. And because Jesus is the only answer for sin, Roberto, and you have to be uh, without sin, you've got to be sinless to get to heaven, Jesus is the only way. No other religious founder was ever murdered and came back to life. No other religious founder ever promised the forgiveness of sins and then proved it, that he had the authority to do it, to deliver on that promise. So you just say, look, to get to heaven, you have to be perfect, and Jesus is the only one who is perfect, so he gives us his perfect uh, nature. Second Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness or the perfection of God. So, Roberto, don't apologize for this. Just declare it. Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived without sin, and because he was without sin, then we who believe are given his perfection. It's a positional thing, but it's the only way to get to heaven. He himself said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Thank you for the questions. We got a bunch of them that came in today, and thank you for the phone calls. Um, remember tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we have our men's and women's studies. Tonight, ladies, is going to be Retreat Reflection 7 o'clock. They'd love to have you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this has been the word to stand up for life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.